The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. God taking and distinguishing His church, distinguishing Christians uh, in the world, that we are distinct from the world for the purpose of ministering to the world. That, that we are set apart, that we're different in those ways. And, and there is such a movement afoot within the church uh, today to be so much like the culture. And, and many times the motives are good. We want to be able to reach people more effectively, so we don't want to look too different. Uh, we don't want to sound too different. We want the music to sound the same. We want the language to be the same. We want our lives uh, to look the same. We don't want to stand out. The problem with that is that the biblical writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wouldn't really be able to relate to that notion. Because the biblical concept of being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a a child, as we said, that we become uh, children of the king, heirs according to his purpose uh, of the king, is that we're distinct. That there is a distinctiveness that comes. There is something that marks us in that way that goes into the world. And Paul said, be in the world, but don't be of the world. Be a part of it. Be able to relate to it. Uh, be able to engage it, to know its mind in such a way uh, that you can then communicate the gospel effectively within the world, but live distinctively different lives. So that when someone says, what's it like to follow Jesus Christ? They look at us and go, oh, that's what it's like. Oh, that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's different from everything else. Everything that we do, everything that we understand is distinctively different that we're set apart to do that. And then what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that in the broader terms for us as Christians And then spend a few minutes to say, now within, again, the economy of the church, God has set apart some to be elders and deacons, to say some and say, now what everybody should be doing, I'm going to take a few and distinguish them within the church so they can make sure that they can lead the others well, that in their lives they're currently doing it, and they're going to help others be able to do it in their lives. It doesn't make them better. It doesn't make them greater in God's economy. It makes them significantly different. And in that way, um, a higher accountability, if you would, in that. And so we're going to look at a few of these things uh, together this morning. And then, as I said, uh, at the next service, we're going to have uh, these men come up and to be ordained, to be set apart formally by what the Scripture says is the laying on of hands by prayer and by putting them uh, in front of you and in front of the world, saying, this is who we are, uh, that we're called to do this and to distinguish them even within the life of the church. So as we come to God's word, let me pray for us this morning. Father, uh, we ask that you now, by the power of your spirit, uh, that you would show us who you are, and then show us who we are in light of that. Would we never get it backwards? Would we never consider ourselves first and then try to understand you through that paradigm? But would we come to understand you and see you in all of your brilliance, in all of your majesty, uh, in all uh, of the ways that you break our categories? And then would we come to understand ourselves? Father, now inspire uh, us through your word that we would humbly come under it for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. 
I'm going to start, and I apologize, Ian, this isn't on the screen for you. I'm going to start in a little bit different place, and we'll read those passages that I've given to you in just a moment. But I'm going to start this morning in a little different place. We're going to read in 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at verses 9 through 12. It says, but you, this is the church, you as the Christian, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exile and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. So the first thing we're going to see is this. God has always been about setting apart a people. In the Old Testament, God came and he said to Abram, said, Abram, I'm going to take you out of Ur of the Chaldees, and I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to take you and your uh, children from this pagan uh, world where you were living, this pagan land that you were living, when your, your mindset was that uh, of a pagan uh, mindset. I don't say and use that word pejoratively, but as a distinctive of saying it's a secular uh, mindset. And I'm going to take you, and I'm going to set you apart and distinguish you. And I'm going to distinguish you this way. You are going to be my people, and I am going to be your God. I'm going to set you apart and you are going to be considered holy. That, that word holy, we too often turn it into a word uh, that means you're going to be perfect. But really what it says is you're going to be distinct. It's this idea uh, of you are other than, that you are different than, uh, that you are holy and distinct from all the other nations in which you come in contact with. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to so distinguish you that I'm going to give you your own legal code. I'm going to give you your own social ways of living. I'm going to change how it is uh, that you live among yourselves and rule among yourselves. And I'm going to change how you eat and how you dress and how you do all this. I'm going to make it so that you are distinct from all of the world so that the world will know that you are my people and that I'm your God. And so they'll come and know me. And so he set apart uh, this people within the Old Testament, and it was Israel. Now, the New Testament equivalent of Israel is the church. And that God is setting apart his church uh, within the world and saying, now you are my people and I am your God and you're going to be distinctively different. There's a wonderful book that I'd encourage you to read. It's a little bit older book uh, and it's called Chameleon Christianity. Chameleon Christianity. And in it, 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 it wrestles with that balance of the church that we, we sometimes move and we're so distinct that we have nothing for the world to offer. It's too difficult to, because of our tribal language, because of our tribal rituals, uh, because of all that, there was no dis, there's no way that anybody outside can come and engage in. And, and we've created this, this, this huddle, this bubble in such a way that it's impenetrable. And on the flip side, we become chameleons. We look so much like the world that there's no distinctive at all uh, between the church and the world. And the premise of the book is saying there's got to be something different. That we are distinctively different in our nature. We're distinctively different in the manner in which we live our lives. But yet, it's an understandable difference, and it's a difference that people can engage in and come into. And God has always said that about his people. 
He said, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are something distinct within the world. Usually this is what happens when someone walks into a room. You size up the room to make sure that you don't stand out too much. You don't want to be the odd one out. You, you dress in certain fashion and you look certain ways. Uh, I've got a couple of boys in college and go to different college campuses here in the state, one at South Carolina and one at Clemson. Now, if you go on a typical Saturday afternoon to a football game in the southeastern part of our country, you're going to notice something. You're going to notice that no one really wants to stand out. All the young men who are in fraternities uh, are wearing khakis, button-down shirt. Some of them have their ties on. They're going to look a certain way because they want to fit in. And the young ladies, there was even an article just recently written, I think, in our own uh, island packet about uh, the look of the southern girl. Boots, shorts or a skirt, and a shirt. Every girl on the southern campus wears boots. I have no idea why. None of them are cowgirls, but they wear boots. Why? And I asked one girl, I said, why do you have boots? I've never seen you. Well, I got to school and I figured I better get some boots. Because that's what you want to wear. You want to fit in. You don't want to stand out. Everything about you wants to fit in. And you're willing to change in order to fit in. You don't want to be called out. And so there's this, this press against us within the world to not stand out. But yet God has called the church to be distinctively different. That people will know that you're a Christian. For most of you, you work very, very hard within your professional lives so that folks don't know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to be just enough to be known as honorable, as a man or a woman with moral character and integrity, uh, and a good person, but you don't want to be too far out there because you know that that may cost you something. In your schools, our young people are being assaulted with that. Even in a Christian academy here, they're being assaulted uh, with wondering, can you stand out for Christ? Is it okay to be distinctively different within that? And, and so there's this challenge that we have. And Peter basically said this, Beloved, I urge you, your sojourners and your exiles, this isn't your world. This isn't your place. This isn't your home. I pray that your conduct among the Gentiles would be honorable. I pray that you would live such, basically what he's saying, that you would live such a distinctively Christian life within such a distinctively non-Christian world that those around you would know that there's something different about you. So I guess that's the question, the first question this morning. Would those with whom you live your lives know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Would they be able, without a doubt, to indict you on charges that you were a follower of Jesus Christ? In more than just your verbal assent, in the way that you talk, in the way that you joke, in what you watch. You know, the big deal right now, obviously, uh, is should Christians go see Fifty Shades of Grey? And I'm not going to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey other than to say this, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I I was reading someone recently, I was saying to her children, you can never unsee what you see and you can never unhear what what you have heard. And those thoughts in the pictures of there's got to be, we have to stand for something different. The sexual intimacy is different from what the world is, is showing. Uh, that the way a man treats a woman is different. That the way a woman views herself uh, with honor and dignity is different than what's put out there on Valentine's Day of all days. If you don't think there's a statement being made in the culture, and the church has to stand against that and not say we're just going to boycott a movie. 
I could care less. But to say we're going to live in such a way that we want to honor those that we're in relationship with, that our young people are going to distinctively live different lives in that way. They see it in their parents, that the way that they joke. I get emails, I promise you, from members of our church almost every week. And I have to delete them every time because they're jokes, because I think behind it is the premise, I'm going to see if I can make the pastor blush. Folks, we should joke differently than the world around us. We should tell different stories uh, than the world around us. Uh, we should look for different things within the lives. We should, we should have and encourage everything that we do be distinctively different. And it's not just putting a little fish on your business card. When I moved to Highlands, North Carolina, and we were looking for someone to help finish out our basement, uh, I went to someone in the community. I decided I didn't want to go uh, to a church person and ask. And I went to a man in the community in the coffee shop where I was going regularly. And I said, hey, I'm going to get some work done on my house. Who would you recommend? He didn't know I was a pastor. He didn't know I was a Christian. I just walked up to him and asked him. And he said, well, I don't know exactly who to tell you, but I can tell you who not to go to. And it's none of those people who have the little fish uh, on their business cards. They're terrible in this community. Oh, how sad. And we think that just putting a little fish, it's somehow, it's never about the symbol. It's not about the bumper sticker on your car. It's not about all that stuff. It's saying, is your life distinctively different? Do your neighbors notice something distinctively different about you? Does your spouse notice something distinctively different about you? That you're a called out one, a set apart one for Jesus Christ within the world. And we work so hard. We work so hard for people not to know that about us. Instead of stepping right out in the front. And going, let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. I'll tell you a quick story and then I'll get back on track. One of my very close friends became an executive VP uh, within the wealth management group of a large, uh, huge uh, bank. And the way that he got the job, he was in his 30s and he shouldn't have gotten it. But he was good at what he did. And everyone said, this is how you should go about getting that job. And he said, I think I'm going to try this. And he went in and in his interview for it, he said, I'm just going to tell you about, my resume's there. You can look at everything I've done. I'm good at what I do, but I want to tell you this. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and my life is marked by him. And with that, if you want to know what kind of man I'm going to be in leading this part of your bank, then you can read about Jesus Christ, and you can see the characteristics of him. And if those are characteristics that you want within your wealth management group, then I'm the man who can help bring that to your group. Isn't that awesome? I was talking to another man recently who was part of a group, a church, and I asked, I said, what makes that pastor so great? He's a well-known pastor. He said, well, let me tell you a story. He said, when this young man, before he was in the ministry, he went in and he was in banking. And he went in and his boss had promoted him and promoted him. And one day the boss said, hey, when Mrs. Smith comes in, uh, I want you to tell her that I'm not in. He said, well, are you going to be in your office? He said, yes, but you tell her I'm not going to be in. He said, well, sir, I can't tell her that. He said, listen, young man, you tell her that I'm not going to be in or else it's going to cost you. And he said, okay. And a few minutes later, he walked into his boss's office. And he said, sir, I can't do that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I want you to know something. If I'm willing to lie to Mrs. Smith, then that would let you know that I'm willing to lie and able to lie to you. And I don't want to have that kind of relationship, so I'm asking you, please don't force me to do this. 
And the man looked at him and said, I'm sorry, and repented to him and said, tell Mrs. Smith I'm just not available, that I can't take the meeting today. Standing and being distinctively different for Jesus Christ is what we've been called to do. We're a set-apart people is what God has said about us. We are set apart. And then there's this very interesting thing uh, within the scriptures that within this set-apart community, overall community, there is a set-apart group within the community. So there's the overall community that is set apart, the church, the Christian church, uh, Israel in the Old Testament. But then within the church, there is a set apart group. And in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, I believe it's chapter 10, it speaks of God set apart the tribe of Levi. He said, now the tribe of Levi, within all of the 12 tribes, all the 12 tribes are my people, but I'm going to take this tribe of Levi and I'm going to distinguish them differently. They're going to have their own uh, dress. They're going to have their own ministry. They're going to have their own distinctives on what they uh, do and what they say. They wore special clothing. They had special tasks. They lived special lives distinct from among the other people. And it says that he called them and set them apart. And in that same framework is where we come now within the New Testament and how God, within the overall context of the church, sets apart some within the church to be in special offices of ministry. Listen to these, and Ian, this is, you can go ahead and put up the uh, Acts passages, chapter 6 and then chapter 14. Look at this setting apart of what God has done within the church. So now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists uh, arose, that is the Greek followers, arose against the Hebrews, that is the, the Jewish followers of Jesus, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint this, to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what, would, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And then over, and that's the setting apart of the deacons. For the first time, the deacons were established, the ministry of deacons and serving. And then in Acts chapter 14, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, And had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You see... In the Old Testament, it was a setting apart of a priestly line. In the New Testament, within the church, God has set apart uh, individuals within these roles of deacon, that is of service, and of shepherd, elder, 
uh, of governing, of caring for the spiritual needs of the church. And so when we see that, what God is saying within that is this. These functions that they do within the deacons and the functions they do within the elders are functions that every single Christian should do. But what God is looking for is within these individuals, he's looking for those distinct characteristics of consistency. He's looking for those marks within that life to say to that individual, within this context, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to appoint you into these positions and officially place you there so that you can begin to lead and care for and draw others through your example to be more like Christ in those ways. And so we follow that biblical pattern here. And we set apart elders and deacons. Uh, how many of you, let me look around. If you're a, a ruling elder within our church, I see Johnny, you're here, and Dave, you're here, uh, and Garrett, you're there. Raise your hands, guys. Look around, folks. These three men are ruling elders within our church. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means that what you should see in their lives is this. You should see the consistency that the scriptures say. And that you should be drawn to them in a way uh, where they, it says in the scriptures, they are ascending to a noble task. What great language, isn't it? A noble task. That they're stepping forward uh, and in that saying, I'm going to serve the needs of the church. I'm going to shepherd. That my life is going to be emblematic. It is going to be a picture of what the gospel is supposed to look like, of that distinctively different life lived out within this world so that you can look at me It's a heavy task. It's not a light one to be entered into. Look at me and how I manage my home. Look at me and how I manage my finances. Look at me and how I manage my private world. Look at me and how I love the scriptures, how I love to be able to teach and communicate them, that I'm a student of the word, how I live with integrity, how all of these characteristics are within me, not perfectly, but they're found within me. And I'm going to help lead and guide this church in that way because God, through his goodness and through his mercy and his wisdom, has set me apart to do that. And so I want you to see these men and to see at the next service, Richard McDonald and George Towns, who you have, just as they did from among themselves, called certain ones and prayed for and set apart, that you see within them those characteristics and they lead well. So if you have questions about how do I live this distinctively Christian life within this distinctively non-Christian world, how do I live the set-apart life? God's saying, I'm appointing certain men within your church that you can go and see and talk to, and they can help lead you because they themselves are doing it well. Does that make sense? It doesn't make them greater than you. But there's always been leaders. There's always been those who are a little further down the road than we are. Uh, and one of the things I love uh, about our church is just in this little line of men, Just even the age difference, the distinctiveness of life experience, of where they come from, and how God, though, says there's one quality, and that is their passion for following me that makes them distinctive and different. So I want you to know your elders in our church. I want you to see them as shepherds. And elders, I'll challenge you, see yourselves as shepherds and elders in this church, that this is your flock. Because this is the case. God has given us this plurality of them to care for our needs. And the other area that he said was, there are, we're going to allow these men to do what they're called to do, to lead, to govern, uh, to teach, and, and to care for the spiritual oversight of the church. And so therefore, we have to take care of the physical needs, uh, the needs of mercy uh, and of care. And he established this other ministry of deacon. And in this ministry, he said, these men are going to be set apart to care for the physical and tangible needs of the people. Are any of our deacons in here this morning? Frank is one back in the back. And 
There we go. There we go. Got several uh, here, Drew and Mark, uh, who are here. These men are set apart in such a way of saying they have a gift and a passion for ministry of serving the physical needs of people. That doesn't mean they're better at administration. It it means that their giftedness is such uh, that they're sensitive to the needs of others and are drawn into the fray versus being stepping away. Uh, That they are are compassionate in that way. And they're doing what all of us are called to do, which is to deacon, to serve, to be a slave, doulos, of Christ in that way. And that they go in and they just do it distinctively differently. And so we want these men to step forward and to be seen in that way to care for the needs and the physical needs of our people. And the interesting thing about both of these offices, you can look at it in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus. He's saying, your lives are being looked at. Your lives are being looked at from top to bottom because when you step forward, both in the global side of all of us stepping forward within the world, the world's looking at us and checking us out. And within the church, the leadership of the church is being looked at and checked out by everyone else around. I'm doing that so folks would see Christ within them and would be drawn to him in that way. And so today's encouragement for you is this. I want you to understand and see why, again, we do what we do. For so many of you come from different backgrounds. And have questions of why do we do what we do? And who's a deacon and who's an elder? And how do you get to be one? And all those kind of things. And I want you to see uh, who these folks are. Now, should all of us be shepherding and caring for the needs of one another? Absolutely. Should all of us be deaconing and caring for the needs of one another in that way? Absolutely, we should. But within our church, God has appointed some to help to really lead and to spearhead those ministries and oversee those ministries and to be there uh, caring for us in those ways. And then what we're to do in the world around us is to go out and be distinct today. To go out and be distinct in the manner in which you live your life in the world. Older generation, can I encourage you on something? Remind us in the younger generation and in the much younger generations that it's okay to be distinctively different. That it's okay to stand for Christ that it might cost us certain things. Paul said that he left elders in every town, and I loved the language that he used. He said, I left elders in every town, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith because there were going to be trials and difficulties that come. And so I want us all to be encouraging one another in these ways, to stand for Christ in a distinctively different world, in a distinctively different way to the world around us. And instead of saying what we stand against, oh, how it would be much better and more effective if we presented to the world what we stood for. That we stand for Christ. That we stand for honor and integrity uh, within marriage. That we stand for honor and life uh, uh, within this world. That we stand for these things in the beauty of who God has made us. uh, And that we celebrate that in such a distinct way that others are drawn to us. So instead of being drawn down to them, I hope that our church continues to grow in such a way that people see something distinctively different about us. And they're drawn to Christ through us. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be great to see? And then for, I'm a dad, I've got kids. Many of you are parents and have kids. Or grandparents and have younger kids. Wouldn't it be great for the younger generations? 
in our church to see us. To say this is how to be a man. This is how to be a godly woman. This is how to be a parent. This is how to be an athlete and a business person in the world. This is how you do it. Because I've been in this church and I've watched these people and I've looked at my elders and I've looked at my deacons and I've looked at all the members of my church and I've seen Christ in them. So, we'll end with this. I hate to break it to you. Christ didn't call you so that you could blend in. He called you so you would stand out. My favorite cartoon of all time. One of these days I'm going to get it framed and printed and put on my wall. It's from the far side, and we'll end with this image for you. It's that picture of a hunter looking down his scope, and he sees two deer leaning against a tree, and one of them has a bullseye on his chest, and the other one looks at him and says, Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. Bummer of a birthmark. (laughs) Christians, you've got a birthmark on you that is distinct within this world, and the world is looking. I guess my question to you today Can they see it? Can they see it in you? And if not, find these elders. Find these deacons. Find the more mature men and women within our church. And let them help you grow to be the distinct person that God has created and called you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for preserving us for all of these years. For keeping us. Father, thank you that you've called us to be distinct and we ask for your forgiveness when we haven't wanted to carry that mantle. Father, when we've wanted to just blend in and not be noticed, forgive us for that. And would you embolden us? Would you pour out your spirit in such a fresh and new way that we would truly know who we are and that we would be proud of it? that it would be the driving force within our lives, the very motivation and passion with which we have to bring honor and glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Savior who was willing to be counted among us so that we could be counted among the righteous. How awesome that is. Would we never see it as a bummer of a birthmark? But oh, what an honorable calling. We pray for those who you've set in leadership above us, that we would honor them, that we would pray for them and their families. And, Father, that we would partner with them in ministry. So, God, go before us today in all that we do and say. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing together this morning in worship.